Hey everyone, welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Library Podcast. I'm Dama Tamanawala, you know my co-host Garrett McGilvery, and joining us today is the Vice President of Research and Strategy at Quadreal, Sean Gilligan. Thanks for having me. Thanks Thanks for for joining us. Uh, So in very quickly, so like you guys I think have known each other for a little while. Me and you, Sean, uh, back when I was an intern when I started at Collier's, I used to just harass you um, every day for information. I started on the capital markets team and I would just go to you and your face would always be like, Oh, this fucking guy coming <laughs> in a loving way. Um, so we go way back. It's, it's good to see you. Can you, you do, can you please share a little bit about Quadreal and what you do there? Definitely. Definitely. Uh, Quadreal is a global real estate investment operating and development company. We're, we're headquartered in Vancouver, British Columbia, assets under management of $67 billion. And myself, uh, I work out of Toronto, Vice President Research and Strategy. So I lead the Canadian research team uh, within Quadrille, and I also focus on global macroeconomics. Quadrille. Awesome. Domestic, domestic, advising on the domestic purchases, strategy, Garrett, told me um, something like when Quadrille's buying a deal, they come to you and it's like, hey, does Sean approve? (laughs) I wouldn't wouldn't, uh, quite take it that far. We uh, we have a very collaborative work environment where research is is, an integral part of the the, the overall uh, group at at, at Quadrille. Research and strategy in general, and you'll hear it straight from our CEO down is, is integral to, to everything that we do at, at Quadrille. We set global strategies for sectors of conviction and, uh, you know, it, it, it influences everything we do. So I'm quite, uh, in a lucky position. Yeah. Uh, so we, I, I'd, I'd love if you could catch our audience up to speed on where things are today in the economy. We've got Bitcoin going like this. We got the housing market going like this. My cousin's calling me saying, should he, should he sell his, his, his house that he bought two years ago or should he hold it, rent it out? Is the housing market going to crash? What's, what's happening? I think everybody's got a lot of questions. So maybe at a high level, oh. <laughs> at a high level, load can, that question up. Can you, can you take us through what you're seeing? Like, where are we right now? At a, at a, yeah, at a high level about everything. I mean, geez, holy Dama, you're really putting me under the under the gun here. Uh, and we, I mean, we could get we could get more specific, but just just to set the, co- the stage. of course, of course, yeah, yes, of course, and and so you know, dominating the news over the past few years, of course, inflation, interest rates, never have these two topics arguably been so popular in 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 the day to day, and uh, of course, we're we're seeing a historically fast increase in interest rates. We have to go back to the 80s to see a, a period of time in which we've seen such fast, rapid interest rate hikes within one year of a, of a hiking cycle. And that's all with the goal of bringing inflation back down to target. Uh, our central bank is a single mandate central bank, and that's price stability. And so that's their focus. Um, we all know inflation has been, well, been running well above target 
for the past better half of one to two years. And uh, that's their singular goal. And interest rate hikes is their best toolkit to to do so. And we're starting to see impacts to the real economy on those interest rate hikes thus far. You mentioned the housing market. That's an extremely interest rate sensitive segment of the economy. So those were the first to start to see uh, the impact of this rapid rate hike. And now you're starting to see it flow through into technology sector, banking, consumer spending, and in all likelihood, we'll, we'll, we'll continue to see more throughout the balance of the year. Uh, I think that's why the Bank of Canada has paused. Um, they're data dependent, so they're going to continue to see the information as it comes out, and, and, and that'll continue to influence their decisions. But they're at a point now where they've raised enough. Uh, we're in a restrictive territory in terms of where the terminal rate is specifically, um, and that's starting to put put downward pressure on on the economy. Um, and so we're going to continue to see those impacts throughout uh, the remainder of, of, of this year. Uh, sorry, I'm already off script, but have, have, <laughs> uh, I was watching a CNBC interview with, uh, what's his name, the CEO of Starwood, who's always very anti-Fed, oh, they've done too much, <laughs> let it ride. The, you know, it's a backward-looking indicator. We're looking at data in the rearview mirror, and we've already raised too much. The real estate sector is going to collapse everything from, like everything, if you're listening to this guy. Uh, have we already gone too far uh, in terms of the rate raising in Canada? I know we're very different than the U.S., but uh, no, no, okay. I, I, no. Yeah. That's uh, there you go. Ans- answers, answers, answers done. Um, <laughs> there was extraordinary stimulus uh, pumped into the economy mm. during COVID and after, and uh, Bank of Canada, other central banks globally decided to hold interest rates at at, at zero, essentially 0.25 until 2022. So the reversal of that extremely accommodative policy with substantial stimulus, quantitative easing, interest rates at a really low level, that was a big factor in, in increasing inflation, the inflation that we're seeing today, although there's supply and demand factors at play on the inflation side. But nonetheless, the reversal of that extremely accommodative policy comes with a lag when you are trying to dampen inflation that was partially caused by stimulus, you need to see the lagged effects of the rate hikes impact the real economy. And so it is too early to tell. We still have core inflation well above target, headline inflation well above target. Those are lagging indicators. So I do understand the the, target 2% right now. The target's 2%. Okay. Yes. Yes. 2%. Uh, within a band, 1% the low end of the band, 3% at the high, but 2% is is that goal. And in, inflation is a, a lagging indicator. If you look at most leading indicators, durable goods orders, PMIs, yield curve, it's it's showing a slowdown. It's showing that the interest rate hikes thus far have and are having an impact on demand. But... CPI, unemployment rate, wage growth, et cetera, the things that that the central banks and Bank of Canada specifically keeps pointing to, 
they're going to need to see some of those lagging indicators show meaningful movement down to the 2%. That's what they've continued to be messaging. And, and so that's all that we market participants can, can go off. We can look to the impact that the rate hikes have had and are having, but a central bank that continuously says our number one mandate is to return inflation back the 2% target, we need to continue to go, go, go down that course. Is it true? Let me know if I'm hogging the mic here. I'm, I've got a bunch of these. Now they're all coming to me, all these questions. Is it, is it true that uh, Canada, the Bank of Canada, is more effective at managing the economy than, um, in terms of slowing the economy than the Fed, just based on how maybe the structure of our five-year mortgages versus 30-year mortgages or whatever? Like, is, that, is there something like that? So I, there's a there's a little bit of dynam, dynamic to that. I, I I wouldn't say more effective, uh, less important, yeah. sure, but I mean more effective on our little Canadian I, segment. I, yeah, what I what I will agree with is if you look at the composition of GDP in Canada versus the U.S., there's a greater share of GDP in Canada within those very interest rate sensitive segments of the economy. Real estate. Uh, I, yes. So the housing market in, in, in general. So their main tool, although they have, they have others, but their main tool, interest rates, whether you're raising or cutting, generally will have a greater impact on the overall Canadian economy because of that relative share. Is there a follow-up question? Is there any market that is more dependent on real estate than Canada that we could look to and say, well, that's what's going to happen, <laughs> you know, and then we're what's going to happen. And then the U S is what's going to happen. There, there are some other markets that are similar, but within the G seven specifically, Canada does have a high relative share of, of, of GDP to housing versus other countries. You could look to Australia, you could look to New Zealand, you could look to a few others, and 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 they're seeing a slowdown in in the housing market as well for for similar reasons. Uh, in in Canada, we do have OECD leading population growth, so there's a bit of a dynamic in terms of housing market demand, rental market demand that fuels the environment that we're in. But just specifically on the on the interest rate side of things. Canada's relative share of, of, of GDP in the housing market does make it generally more uh, susceptible to movements in, in interest rates. Now, you know, help me tiptoe if we have to here to be sensitive to, you know, a big organization. Um, but can we go through maybe asset class by asset class and talk like, you know, just to put it in context, like I'm in multifamily, I get calls every day from the smallest private guys to the largest institution saying, what is happening in the market? Transaction volume has slowed down. We don't really know where things are. You'll see something transacted at a 3-3 cap, and then an identical property will transact at a 4-2-5. Um, and so people are trying to figure it out. Um, I have an idea, in at least in multifamily, but I'm I'm really curious to know um, why don't we start in a happy place with industrial? 
<laughs> where yes. where are you seeing things? That, you know, speaking about all of Canada, not not just Toronto, at, at least MTV. Um, where is the industrial market now, and where is it headed over the next couple of years? Yeah, you know the 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 view on industrial for Quadrille in general, extremely high conviction asset class globally, and and within Canada, we've seen such substantial growth within the industrial market over the past 10 years, really five years. And that's a trajectory that I think will continue to grow extremely strong. Uh, you have your traditional cyclical economic factors where a country of Canada's size that's growing to the extent that it is, um, I'm sure you saw Canada's record-breaking immigration numbers for 2022. How many people did we? Over a million people. 1.05 million. 1.05. And, you know, that number, which, yes, is processing of visas from previous years, but nonetheless, that puts us on the upper range of the target that the federal government has sent out, and that range is growing over the next five years up to 500,000 net new people a year, not including international students, not including people on a temporary work visa. And so from a macro perspective, the cyclical demand of overall consumption is a, is a positive for industrial right. as we continue to grow. But then if we fast forward five years from now, there's going to be a lot of change within the sector. One thing during COVID that was heavily discussed and not quite as much anymore with interest rates, inflation dominating the topic, was the global supply chain shocks in the beginning of the pandemic and throughout the pandemic. And that really put a lens on cost of global supply chains, the efficiency, redundancy, automation, digitization. And so there's a lot of incremental productivity growth that can take place within industrial over the next five years. And I'm sure you're seeing and hearing it on the ground. And so that's, that's a positive tailwind for the sector. And uh, I think it's across the country, Calgary, Edmonton, Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal, uh, markets across the country are seeing exorbitant demand in the industrial sector. And uh, I think it's going to, think it's going to continue. Are there, just to throw some water on that fire, are there, are there any meteors that are going to hit that? Is it a black swan event where you go, well, <laughs> you know, unless this happened, because one day maybe, and then you get it, we get to say, you heard it here first. Yeah. You, yep. you can, you can, you can let, quote. yeah, direct <laughs> quote. Uh, no, you can, you can let me know your okay. uh, black, no black swan event. But, no uh, I, don't, I don't see it. No. So no concern over like, overbuilding. We just don't right now. We just have zero supply. Um, okay. All right. Industrial is great. So that's good. (laughs) Um, uh, yeah. Okay. Now, why don't, why don't we continue through? You mentioned record immigration. Let's talk about multifamily then, because multifamily is one of these things where, you know, each province has different, uh, regular, different regulatory environment. Um, but the fundamentals are so great and yet it is extremely interest rate uh, dependent, right? Like the values of these properties is directly 
related to interest rates. And so where do you see that market going kind of in the near term and then maybe medium term, long term, maybe too challenging? Yeah, I, I mean, we can we can start off with supply demand, good old supply demand, and then and then go from there. And uh, you know, those population growth numbers that we just talked about, CMHC estimates there's about seventy five thousand new rental homes built last year. Average over the past five years is around fifty thousand. Maybe we can increase that a little bit maybe over the next few years we have vacancy rate under 2% and those numbers that i quoted in terms of new supply that doesn't count inventory that's taken out of the market inventory that could use an upgrade when you set growth targets of 500,000 people a year that's a that's an extremely positive demand driver for the overall economy but there's not many folks that would say today there's enough rental stock in the overall market. Uh, quoting those numbers, you think that's a big, big gap. We're only adding, even at a peak, 75,000 rental units a year. Vacancies barely budging. Rent growth is, is, is extremely positive. So overall, uh, I'm very positive on multifamily supply demand overall it's just a question of bringing on more supply to satiate uh, that demand across the country really some jurisdictions easier more difficult to but uh there 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 needs to be more supply yeah when you're bringing in 1.05 million new immigrants uh in a year and only seventy five thousand new rentals like where are these people going it's not great yeah, and that and that you know obviously, with all of the pros, the risks are if the fundamentals are so good, then the risks are more regulatory because it's it's you know you have at the same time low vacancy or you know less than one percent vacancy in certain markets, you have turnover going down to the low signal digits, and all of a sudden you can't get anybody out. Uh, rental becomes a front page issue with affordability and protesters and all this stuff. And it becomes tougher to generate churn to actually get a return on your investment as well. Right. So. Yeah. And, and that's why the, the number that I quoted was, uh, was purpose built rental, you know, not including the, the, the condo rental to the market. Right. Uh, purpose, purpose built rental is needed across the country. Every, every market you look at. And in my opinion, transparency is the name of the game. Governments across the country, many are understanding that this is necessary piece of infrastructure, piece of the economy that fuels growth uh, without adequate housing options, rental options specifically, because the numbers that we're talking to don't include international students. A lot of folks that come to Canada go to rent off the bat, not sure if they're going to stay in one city versus the other, maybe looking to find a home at some point. Coming back to that purpose-built rental, it's it's a story of supply and some markets across the country, it's easier, more transparent to, to bring supply than others. There is an elephant in the room sitting right over there. We've been all trying to avert our eyes, but... Um, <laughs> 
look staring out. at us. Look out. <laughs> His name is Office. <laughs> yes, we're, we're sitting in one. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, we're one of, uh, one of only, we're the only three people in here. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Our office is pretty packed actually right now, I think. Um, but okay, so just diving into this a little bit. In Toronto, I'm not an office leasing guy, but in Toronto, I think our downtown has a vacancy rate of like 10% or something right now. Um, all And Toronto is a great market for office, right? But we're still feeling the effects of uh, COVID, work from home policies. There was a while where employers were mandating back to return to office. And I think that, you know, people are still trying to do that. I'm a big believer that you have to work in the same space to be effective, or a lot of people should. Um, let me rephrase that. I'm a, I'm a big believer that not everybody is effective when they're at home. Um, but, uh, but yet vacancy rates are still high, you know, and, and, and then availability rates are higher, right? Because you have these rolling leases and then companies are either not renewing or they're downsizing. And this may just be a temporary thing, um, but we have seen a little bit of uh, pain in that sector. So how do you guys think about maybe office across Canada? Um, and you can bifurcate that from suburban, you know, more central, whatever you, however you, you're thinking about it. Yeah, you you know I'd I'd say long term investor. I'll say it a million a million and one times. Really look at markets where there are positive long term fundamentals, and we look at Toronto, Vancouver, and other markets across Canada. But I'll I'll, I'll stick to Toronto since you mentioned it. Office jobs added over the past ten years have been substantial. Amongst the top in North America, very diverse employment base, lots of growth, technology, finance, real estate, legal. And so personally, the view is that that'll continue. That'll continue for the next decade plus for Toronto. It's going to continue to be a growth engine for Canada. You'd mentioned work visas. It's a substantial um, landing spot for folks globally. And that's a substantial positive demand driver for office in the long term. You'd mentioned a lot of the dynamics of, of, of office specifically. I think right now you're seeing a noticeable flight to quality. A, a pandemic is going to cause that shift. HVAC systems, amenities, engaging space, et cetera, uh, was, was bound to happen with a new supply pipeline coming to fruition anyway but i personally believe the pandemic accelerated that and when you look across the country gap between class a and above class b and lower vacancy has never been this wide and when you look to individual markets sub markets that's that's reigning true so when we look over that long term again we we focus on long term fundamentals and right. toronto vancouver very positive, and then we specifically you know, focus on that flight to quality, that space that allows for all the things that you'd mentioned, very engaging work environment, positive amenities, et cetera, et cetera. Can you, so that, that makes a lot of sense to me, and we keep hearing the flight to quality, flight to quality. Um, so maybe our MTV markets are going to remain strong. 
right? Um, or at least rock bumpy road right now, but there's a path towards they're, they're going to be a huge success and everybody will wonder why they didn't buy today. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> One thing that I'm like, this is kind of building on that question of what's happening in the U.S. that you know, maybe Canada is better in a lot of respects. <laughs> Go Canada. Better at hockey, Go lacrosse, Canada. whatever it is. Um, but like a lot of what happens in the U.S. affects us here, whether it be, you know, their real estate sector is getting pummeled much quicker than ours in a lot of respects. And, you know, maybe they have a more liquid market. Maybe they're doing the 1031 exchange. Maybe who knows, whatever. It's a, it's a much more entrepreneurial spirit down there as well. Um, things move quicker. But like, what are some of the knock-on effects that, like, are there, is there, is there another shoe that's going to drop and potentially affect our Canadian market here in any sector, whether it be uh, the asset class specific or mortgage more you know uh, some of these banks that are um hold all of these loans for all of these office buildings for instance like is there anything that you guys are saying okay well we should just monitor this yeah i, I mean you you said it well in terms of a lot of what happens in the u.s impacts canada hiring at major american companies in canada has an has an impact on the on the mm. economy interest rate policy has an impact on on Canada. So the the direction as to which US monetary policy goes, that'll have an impact on Canada to a certain extent. Firm growth within the US will have an impact on on Canada as companies are continuing to grow going forward, the ones that have a presence in Canada will be a net a net benefit. So there's definitely a knock-on effects. There are nuances within the market in terms of faster population growth in 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 Canada. Right. So that's one aspect of growth that's that's different in Canada versus the U.S. U.S. We see more concentration of growth. Alberta, Quebec, Ontario, B.C., and the major metro areas garner a majority of 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 new entrants to Canada. There's a lot more regional competition in, in, in the U.S. specifically. There are a lot more regional banks, a lot more banks across the U.S., over 7,000, Canada, 28. So when you look at Canada's relative impact on what takes place in, in, in the U.S., there's generally some trickle effect, but um, I would say there are some, there are some nuances. Is the Canadian banking sector going to collapse? <laughs> a hard question. <laughs> Twenty-eight dominoes. No. <laughs> okay. All right. Good. Here we go. I feel safe. Uh, do you have? Uh, do you have any? I'm tr- the one thing that I see from the majority of this conversation is that, like, the one thing that seems to be a major saving grace to pretty much every asset class that we've talked about and the Canadian economy as a whole is really immigration for the most part, because that's been propping up our demand so significantly that, you know, housing's never going to go down. Industrial needs to be revamped because we need to, you know, service more people, office, more people coming in, more office jobs, more people coming in. Right. 
Yeah. Is there, this could be obviously a no, is there ever like a, is there potential backfiring effect that could ever occur with, you know, spiking immigration into a country? Like affordability? Asides from affordability? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I would say, you know, we touched on it a little bit earlier. When you look globally, Canada's growth, population growth, leading the OECD, it's at the bottom of the OECD in terms of 35 advanced economies globally, Canada, and whether you break it down to the G7, G20, generally speaking, Canada's at the top, if not near the top in terms of population growth. It's generally at the bottom or near the bottom in terms of timeline to obtain a general construction permit. So <laughs> growth That's is interesting. a positive. The challenge is whether it's infrastructure that helps growth be more productive, public transit, R&D spending, et cetera, et cetera. Whether it's that or housing, industrial infrastructure, et cetera, all of that needs to keep pace. A lot of economies are seeing slowing, declining, working age population growth, flatline population growth. That has a whole host of macro challenges. We're in a very positive, beneficial position, especially as I'd said, you have permanent resident, non-permanent resident, temporary visa, international students. All huge, huge, huge positives to the economy. You need the productivity growth. And Canada's lagging productivity growth also um, in the lower quote quartile, generally speaking, more R&D spending more efficient infrastructure, use of funds on infrastructure, more efficient, faster construction of housing, sewer systems, public transit, et cetera, et cetera. It's that's, that's the crux of the problem. Often the conversation gets diverted to, you know, what should our, whether it's GDP population or other, what should the growth target be and not enough time spent on infrastructure, and productivity growth, et cetera, et cetera. That needs to be the, the crux of the comp- uh, conversation. And that's the one out of you know, the positives mentioned today that really is lagging, that, that needs to be you know, kick-started, for, for lack of a better phrase. Okay, wave a magic wand. How do you make that happen? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, infrastructure is, is, is one of the ways that I'd mentioned. Efficient infrastructure spending, delivery of infrastructure, hopefully on time. Right. And to your productive regions, housing, rental, ownership, et cetera, just overall uh, housing across the country, and R&D spending, whether it's public or from the private sector. And you need to create a more efficient, competitive environment to then encourage businesses to spend more in, in, in R and D specifically. And that, and that's, and that's, uh, that's lagging. Got it. Okay. Um, this is a challenging question. Have you ever read Peter Thiel's zero to one? 
You know that one? Yeah. So what's your challenging question? <laughs> well, was it if I read it or? Uh... Yeah. <laughs> it. The answer is yes. Yeah. Um, next question. Yeah. Uh, okay. No, but in it, he asks, I, now I'm going to butcher how he asks it, but you hopefully you, it's, it's like, what's one truth? What's one thing that you know to be true that very few other people believe? Uh, I, I'd have to say we're, uh, we're not going back to 0% uh, interest rates in the, in the near future. That's a hot debated topic today, but we're, we're coming off a period of extremely long, accommodative uh, monetary policy where interest rates were, were lower for longer. And uh, I think for the next few years, we're going to have uh, higher interest rates that will make things more interesting for us in the day to day. Okay, just to play this out, because that actually it makes me think about uh, saying multi-rents a lot of people will buy. Like, if, if, you, if you believe the opposite thing, which a lot of people believe, that rates are going to go back down and start cutting, you know, in whatever, end of this year, early next year, then that would look like, okay, I'm going to buy this real estate, I'm going to lock in a very high uh, two-year loan, and then I'll refinance when rates are down. You're saying maybe rates are not going to go down that quickly. So you're still going to be... Yeah, we're, we're, you, need a, you need a lot of cuts to get to where we were, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll get cuts at some point. Rates will go down a, a bit for the, for the near term, will be higher than what we've seen over the past three to four years for sure and, and, and higher than the last cycle. But in that go forward, income growth, income growth, income growth. And, and, and that's the name of the game. And multifamily, industrial, and specific, those two sectors across Canada have really positive income growth stories. And so the dynamic that you're discussing still looks extremely positive in even in a higher interest rate environment because you do have that positive view of, 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 of income growth over time. So it's, it's different because rates are quarter point as, as they've been throughout uh, the pandemic, but you still have a really strong rent growth story. At the end of 2025, where is the benchmark, Canada's benchmark rate going to be? Uh, you know, this will be the big caveat asterisk. Don't uh, Please, don't yeah. listen to anything that, that, that I say. It'll, <laughs> it'll 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 be higher than where it was in 2019. Last question: You have two million dollars, and you can invest it in any asset class anywhere in Canada. Uh, in two million in equity, where are you putting that? A uh, Toronto or Vancouver industrial condo. Uh, ah, okay. I'll, I'll put it there. Fair. Good answer. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Garrett's just over there. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs>